Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we'll be reviewing the uh, Lenny Abramson psychological thriller, uh, The Little Stranger, and we'll also be looking, lots of us in this intro, we'll also be looking at Stanley Kubrick's 50th anniversary 4K restoration screening of 2001, A Space Odyssey, The Ultimate Trip. We're also going to be looking at fall films, September through November, what's coming up, what are we going to do on this show, what are we going to skip, so stick around for that segment in between The Little Stranger and 2001, but first, the news. First on the list, Rotten Tomatoes announces a major overhaul to their critic review process. Andy, you found this story? Fill us in. So <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes is going to be making some big changes to how they review films. And part of what they want to do is widen, widen their net of critics. And they want to start including podcast reviews, such as this show, <laughs> we, we wish. Such as we wish. Yeah. Um, and also video reviews, so um, you know YouTubers, uh, things like that. Uh, so their aim is to get kind of wider, cast a wider net into the review space um, and also tap into more diverse um, uh, reviewers because they have been accused of kind of having older stuffy kind of highbrow critics. That's been one of the criticisms. And so they're trying to be more diverse in their, their reviewer pool. It's tough because the the more you try to diversify that reviewer pool, the more you jeopardize the sanctity of the critic review and the audience review. Because that is a thing on Rotten Tomatoes. You got yes. both, right? And the more you try to kind of <laughs> dilute the pool of, of bold cinema quality and, and the uh, <laughs> critic choice, uh, the more you just kind of seem to drag those numbers closer together. And I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing. Like at the end of the day, I understand Rotten gets a lot of a lot of uh, flack for um, their, their approach towards reviewing films and, and, and studios really care about it lately. They, they advertise on it as a point. If, they, if the movie sucks on there, they, they, they decry it and say it's horrible. Um, it's weird to me that they're making this shift. Why, why do you think that is? Well, like I said, they've had a lot of criticism, and I think they d they're trying to adjust with the times. You know, people, like, we don't have the Siskel and Ebert show anymore. Reviewing has gone elsewhere. It's gone to the internet. It's gone to podcasting. It's gone to YouTubers. So they're trying to tap into these uh, kind of other areas. And it's important to note that the uh, the level of admission to become a reviewer is still very high. Like, this show would not get on it, uh, not because we're not top quality, but because, um, for instance, you have to have 200 reviews on, on iTunes. Um, you have to have a show that's two years old. You have to put out four episodes a week. So there's th the bar is quite high to be admitted into the reviewer pool. I'm going to guess four episodes a month, not a week. Oh, that's what I... Yeah, yeah sorry. Yeah, a sorry. month. For a second, for just a brief moment, I was like, what movie podcast is four <laughs> episodes a week? Um, yeah, it, definitely a high bar. It's not just any podcast. We can't get into it. This is also a perfect opportunity to remind you to rate and review on iTunes, Oscript, the home of Bold Cinema. Let us know how much you love Absolutely. the show. Anyway, um, I, I think I, you know. I think it's strange, and and I guess I want to disagree with it. But Rotten's always been a little strange that way. That's it's kind of always been their game. And and, and if this is the way they're going to go, you know, who am I to who who am I to decry the the, the great tomato? This is this is their game. So. I'm interested to see if it will make any kind of difference like let's say we do this and the ratings are as predictable as as they have been you know i, right. I wonder if it will but I, I do think they're trying to maybe appeal to more 
mass audiences, if that makes any sense, yeah. to the common man. I think you're right. Which, again, like I, I think that's what the audience score is for. But people, man, people make snap judgments off Rotten. They, they see they see that number, they see that red or green tomato, and that's that's whether or not they're going to see the movie. And it shouldn't be that way, but that's what people are. Rotten's got their business. they got to dance with that. The second story we have, uh, Disney wins injunction against Redbox. Movie download codes cannot be sold separately. It's a story we covered a while back on That's the right. show. Do you want me to try to... Uh, I can try to take Go it. ahead. Go okay, ahead. Yeah, here. Let me stumble through this. Correct me when, when, when I'm wrong. Uh, so Disney had this thing going against Redbox, this case, uh, that Redbox was selling uh, DVD codes, uh, I guess digital codes for Disney films, alongside uh, DVDs. They were selling them separately, I should say. Uh, you could buy either at a Redbox station or I guess online. Or you, you could rent the DVD, but they were selling the codes. Okay, you could rent the DVD, but they were selling the codes. And Disney said you can't do that. I, I think they had some deal with them maybe a while back where they could buy, buy in codes directly. And eventually Redbox decided they weren't going to listen to Disney. They were just going to go buy Disney films off the shelf or like at Walmart or Amazon or whatever and then take the DVD codes out, like the little flyer out of the, out of the DVD or Blu-ray and then sell that separately through their own means. So they, they they were literally buying stock from Disney, buying buying product, I should say, from Disney, separating the parts out and selling those parts separately for a profit. And 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 the House of Mouse would not stand for this. That's right. Well, they did um, win the first round. Redbox did. Um, a judge let this go to kind of the next phase in, in the legal process. And uh, he actually thought that Disney was um, possibly abusing their copyright claims on this. Um, but... Disney came back and readjusted their legal language and, you know, terms of, of agreement. So they basically made it to where you legally they're fine now. And so Redbox is going to have to stop selling these uh, digital download codes. Right. You can't beat the house of mouse. No, you always you lose. Yeah. You will. You, the house always wins. Um, you're, you're not a big fan of this, right? Did I, did I misread that? Uh, I mean, it's, it, I like seeing the little guy win sure. and it's, you know, there there is nothing illegal about, and I, I and I didn't know this. I th- I thought you couldn't resell it because it says not for resale, but that's not le- actually legally Apparently binding. Apparently, you that's can't not, do that. Yeah, that's not legally binding. They just put that on there because they don't want you just to do scare it. You. Um, but yeah, th- they they readjusted their website and the download codes to where like you have to, you know, have something from the original packaging or agree to something. Basically, you can't separate them or you can't. The code won't work if you don't have like both parts or something. Right. This is. This is one of those cases. This is one of those cases that, that kind of spooks me a little bit because I think somewhere down the line this will set precedent for something else that I won't like. <laughs> uh, right now it's Redbox and I kind of don't care, but it is weird when you're talking about digital distribution of films and you've got codes that come with films, uh, like physical media, and how do you suss that out and what what is a separate product and what isn't like this feels like those blurs this blurs the line in a way that that will be good for the guys selling movies and not for the people buying movies so yeah of course yeah like at the end of the day like i guess i don't care but i feel like someday i might so i guess i'll keep an eye on it and if it comes around again i'll uh, i'll be able to look back at this at uh Episode was this thirty three of Oscar That's right. and 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 uh, uh, chuckle fondly at how ignorant I was. The last story we have: local product quotas for Netflix and Amazon to become law. EU official says that's confusing. Let's explain. Uh, so in the EU, the European Union, uh, they are now saying that Netflix and Amazon have to produce a certain amount of kind of local lo- content. Yeah, right? local or regional contact. It basically invest in local shows or invest in local companies or produce their own kind of 
content that's localized to certain areas. So let's say Germany or, uh, God, I don't know Europe at all, Belgium. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, and this, this is a thing over there, I assume, because this is a matter of like preserving culture. If you, if you have your, your society essentially watching the entertainment of other cultures instead of their own, like you can start to shift things in a weird way uh, in a country. Entertainment is important in that way. So if, folks are watching all foreign entertainment like that might hurt you in the long run so it's in a government's best interest to say hey you got to put out some stuff that's made here and i guess i get that yeah it's it's about wanting to invest in the local local economy right. the regional economy what i don't get about that is is the amount that they have to have in their on-demand catalogs that are considered right. local content 30 percent, at least 30 percent. so if you're in the eu one out of three options on Netflix has to have been made in the EU. That is wild to me. Like, that, that is a drastic shift in content. Amazon yeah. Prime, arguably even worse. And, like, maybe... But a lot of it may... may there may be more of it already made there than, than we think. Right. I, that's that's exactly what I was thinking. Like maybe maybe somehow they, they get over the line. Or they have Faulty Towers on there. That's a season of something they have. Uh, like, maybe maybe there's enough, like... B movies and stuff in the back because there's some there's some dark stuff in the back catalog of Netflix and Amazon. There's some there's some who knows what you're gonna find B movies in there. Uh, maybe there's enough in there that they're pretty close already. Who knows? Like maybe 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 their catalog reaches a lot further than I think. But that just seems drastic to me. And I I'm I guess we're fortunate here in America that we don't have to deal with that because <laughs> we make all the best cinema. So that's, well, that's I, where we're at. I think one of the arguments is you know Netflix has global reach. They have international consumers and if if you're you know benefiting from let's say a consumer in germany well then those consumers should a, a that country should get some of that revenue mm -hmm. and be those the locals should have shows and things that are relevant to their culture i get that but it, it is also worth mentioning that netflix and amazon are just that global companies and if they're having to deal with this on one side of the world somewhere along the way we're going to have a piece of that over here, I think, whether that be, hey, they're investing money and time dating shows over there, whether or not they make them over here, uh, dividing uh, libraries by by region, which is already a thing. I mean, you, yeah. you, you hop on Netflix Australia, you're going to get different stuff than it's on Netflix here. I don't know what exactly it means, but I, I, I guess it bugs me that we are drawing lines deeper based on where you live. Yeah. When it comes to internet services. I've never really liked that. I, I like the idea that it's just uniform for everybody, but it is what it is, I guess. I, I also understand the local content. That's part of my problem with, uh, with with Disney right now. And when one company holds all the cards and you're entertaining the masses, like that's a dangerous thing. So uh, now that I've laid out my political agenda, we should probably move on <laughs> to the get. first to the first film of, of the evening. Uh, I have been tasked with taking the summary for this. I don't want to say it's taxing, but we'll get into it. This is Lenny Abra Abrahamson's. Abrahamson's. I say Abrahamson. Lenny Abrahamson's. The Jesus. Lenny Abrahamson's The Little Stranger. All right. So The Little Stranger is a a drama. It's a horror. It's it's a mystery. It is set in the 1940s in England. All right, and and, and it's centered around. Uh, a man named Dr. Faraday, played by Don Hall Gleason, uh, I think I pronounced that right, yep. who has a, a odd uh, curiosity, I don't want to say obsession, but 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 he, a peculiar penchant towards a, a, a house on the other side of, of, of the, 
little town he lives in. Uh, it, it's it's called the the hundreds, I think, is what. Yeah, this kind of wealthy hundreds family. Hall. Yeah, this wealthy family, the heirs, have have owned it for for two centuries. And his mom used to be a housemaid there. So when he was a kid, every once in a while, he'd get to go and like hang out on the lawn or something, and and, and be at be at a party. And he kind of grew obsessed with it. And and now he's become a doctor, and, and he becomes the family doctor for the heirs at the house. Uh, and, and his kind of return to th- this house that he that, that he's always adored from afar brings some uh, some some unique happenings, I guess. Uh, yeah. To 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 heirs and to the to the heirs at, at Hundreds Hall, and so that's um, that's essentially the setup, I think. Right. That, yeah. That covers it. Okay. <laughs> uh, Andy, what did you think of the Little Stranger? Um, so I really, really enjoyed this film. Um, it's, it's creepy. It's got a little bit of everything. It's, you know, it's a drama, but there's horror-esque elements. There's, um, you know, lots of themes that we'll get into as well. Good performances. It's shot really well. It's out in the English countryside. Um, that being said, I was the only person in in the view screening. Yeah, we should we should talk about that before I get into the, my thoughts and we kind of dig into the movie a little bit more. Let's talk, let's talk about when we saw this movie. You saw this movie. When did you see this movie? I saw this 10 a.m. yesterday, which was Labor Day. Right. So you saw this 10 a.m. on holiday uh, at, at Alamo Draft House. Yeah. Which is a theater traditionally known for not just wide releases. Like, it's, it's a little bit more... Yeah, you get a little catered bit more. To, yeah. Like, I had to look for a screening of this. It wasn't just at any theater. I had to find one specifically. I went to a 30-theater megaplex out by a mall... Um, Friday night, 6.35, which is not prime show, but the next show for this after that was like nine o'clock or something. Uh, I was the only one in theater in both cases. We were the only, we were the only strangers in, in our respective theaters. There was nobody else in there. It was wild. Um, the perfect screening. If if I had to, if I had to say there's (laughs) ever one, yeah, the whole theater to yourself, but weird. Uh, so kind of a weird, a weird way to see this movie. And I hadn't watched the trailer again going into it. I saw the trailer when it first came out. And I forgot about it, and I'm talking to you, and I'm like, I want to go in fresh. It's like a mystery. I don't want to know anything. I, I just want to go in uh, clean slate. And while most of the time I see a movie like that and I say, everybody else should do that too, this time, I'm kind of ambiguous. I think you could talk about this and still go see it and enjoy yeah, it. Like, yeah, it's, it's 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 not too complex, I don't think. Let's start there. Uh, it's set in the English countryside. It's the 1940s. The set dressing, everything in it looks fantastic. It just feels genuine. Genuine. It reminds me of Mad Men, how like they managed yeah. to get their sets and everything to look so well that everything just looks like you step backwards in time. That's this movie. But it's the 1940s. It's not so far removed that it feels completely foreign. There's still elements in here that feel legit. Like dudes are walk, walking around in suits, just yeah. like we have suits. They go to dances. Like we don't dance, you know, really. Like like we're not doing the Charleston or anything. But like. It's just close enough that like there's there's a lingering like relation to the people in this sure. film. Yeah, uh, the cast: Dom Hall Gleason in the uh, titular Faraday, who also worked with Lenny Abrahamson in 2014's Frank. Oh, kind okay. of cool yeah, flick. Yeah, yeah I haven't he, seen it. Yeah, Lenny Abrahamson also did Room. Uh, so those are those two big movies he's known for. Uh, Dom Hall Gleason was awesome. Very cold. Very calculated. Yeah. Very like very like, emotionless and, and holding it together. That's uh, it's some good good old fashioned Tom Gleason. Also, Will Poulter. I did not expect him yes, to be in this yes. role. Yeah, in this movie, he's the kid with the r- real tall eyebrows. Yeah. You know, I'm, he's yeah, in yeah. everything these days. It seems like it. Yeah. He plays a uh, a burn victim in this movie. 
And it's a little clumsy, but his accent's great. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was, every time he spoke, I was really convinced. Whoever they got to work with him on his accent, because I assume he's American traditionally. No, I think he's British. Is he? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, then, never mind. I'm not impressed by your accent. That, that's, <laughs> that's you. Uh, Charlotte Rampling uh, was great. I know I've seen her in something. She's mm-hmm. just an older actress. And that's, a, honestly, that's about it. You, you only have like six, five or six main characters. Yes. Yeah. And even the the main characters aren't particularly main. Really, it just centers around the heirs family and this crumbling house. And, and I've been talking way too much. You should take this from me. Okay. okay. Yeah. Pick so, this up. So one of the things I really like, as I've talked about before, is I'm all about like themes and kind of underlying meanings and things like that. And so he's really obsessed with this family, but more than that, he's obsessed with wealth and not necessarily being wealthy. I mean, he's a doctor, um, but he, he's obsessed with the wealthy class, with the aristocratic class, and he wants to very badly be that. And right. there's several parts where he's, uh, like, he's invited to a party and, you know, some of the, the other guests are like, oh, you know, you're working for them and you're on staff. And he's like, oh, no, I'm like you. I'm, I'm a guest. He, and he has to kind of assert himself that he's, no, I'm, I'm one of you. So he, like, desperately wants to be part of this aristocratic class and that's why he keeps flashing back to when he was there as a boy and he like has really idealized and romanticized like this house and like this upper super upper class uh wealthy culture um and you know i think the movie is is a criticism about that class not not about wealth itself or capitalism itself but about you know, just because people are wealthy doesn't mean like they're better people or they're smarter people. You hear a number of ridiculous things. Um, you know, there's this whole thing about like they kind of refuse to accept the science, um, you know, because they're in this house. They think that there's ghosts at the, or that there's like poltergeists and it really is about mental health. And they kind of refuse to accept that, you know, everyone in the family is kind of suffering from a mental sure. health issue. And that's, and that's extended to uh, the state of the house. The house is an absolute disarray. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they do this really cool job of kind of, of, of doing this flash backward, flash forward kind of effect to go back to his childhood and show kind of his relation to this house. Cause the house looks like fantastic in the past. Yeah. Which I think is probably like twenties ish. Yeah. But then in present, which is the forties, like just, awful like every every it looks like something out of the most generic uh haunted house you've ever been in like the walls look like they're covered in dust and slime and like half the windows are broken and everything like it just seems like the world has creeped in on this and like it's a great analogy for this family who lives out in the middle of nowhere who used to be on top of the world and has just fallen into like absolute you know disaster we should talk about the scares because this is a little bit of a horror film it's got horror elements I should say but it's definitely more of a psychological thriller because as it goes they kind of set up this this story and I don't think this is too spoiler I think this is in the trailer they kind of set up this story with a a, a, a little of course like being being big old house like a little blonde girl that is some kind of like poltergeist or spirit that's haunting them and and the movie just kind of pokes at that with a with with a with a long pole it doesn't embrace it it doesn't go oh here's exactly what's happening it just kind of plants the idea says hey here's maybe this thing that's going on there and then dr faraday plays this brilliant kind of counter role because one of the characters will think it's a ghost or the house is cursed or a poltergeist like you said and he'll he'll be the first to say no it's in your head you're imagining this like you're 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 delusional you you just think you saw this Your, your brain is making excuses and uh, man, I love I love stuff like that. Like when when yeah. somebody says I saw something, and, and then he goes, "No, no, no, no!" Like you, you only think you saw this. That can be explained. 
Um, and that's what I mean by the rejection of science. Yeah, and adding that practicality to a ghost story set in the past, like it's just a lot of fun. I love. I mean, that's. <laughs> I, I, I'm usually quick to be a, a cynic or a skeptic around a lot of like ghost stories. And I find myself trying to play that role of like, no, nah, there's probably, there's probably a reason. There's a way to explain this away. You, you think you saw it or you didn't or, and like, it's fun to follow a character who's so adamantly that way, who not only embraces science, but frankly doesn't want to believe that anything nasty could be going on at this house. He loves uh, right, for, yeah. around this family. He adores. Yeah. You know, one of the themes is kind of the, passing of the church or you know older traditions going away one of one of the best examples is they sell some of the land uh so that a housing development can be built and so you see this modern kind of british neighborhood started to be built next to this old estate you Mm -hmm. know and that's a good metaphor for the family and him and um i also wanted to talk about briefly as you mentioned the the scares is a really great one uh that i'll mention about uh this girl that gets kind of she bothers this dog and eventually this dog bites her back. And uh, there's this brilliant uh, thing where you don't actually see anything. You don't see the attack. You don't see the aftermath. All you hear are the girl's screams. Mm -hmm. You see, uh, you know, Dr. Faraday carries her in his arms. She's just covered in blood. She's got this rag that's soaked in blood over her face. And it's just like this really intense thing because you never see the injury, but you can just imagine how horrific it must be. Right. Uh, Abrahamson's got this real, like he's been doing this long enough to have a knack for like what information is given on screen and what that means to people. Because something I really enjoyed about that scene, yeah, not only not only do you not see any kind of visceral attack, but as they're as they're you know working on the girl and he's he's trying to help her and you know somebody get me a, get me a syringe or whatever, or get me a, a sewing needle. Uh, you get a hard you get a hard jump cut to him sitting in the room uh, where she was uh, on uh, you know the, this table she was on and he's he's got blood all over his shirt the sleeves rolled up and he looks exhausted and and the girl's gone and, and there's blood on the table and we're left wondering she make it or didn't she right. it's, it's a great bit like it's it's a good it's a good acknowledgement of of like we understand our audience and we know what they're gonna think so we're gonna do this next and keep them on their toes and like that's. That seems to be present throughout this whole movie. There's never a moment that feels clunky. There's never a moment yeah. that feels clumsy. Everything feels very concentrated and organized. But I do worry that that can hinder some people who are looking for a good old-fashioned like ghost story. Like there, there are yeah. people who are going to go into this movie <laughs> if they if, if they, they can. <laughs> yeah, Jesus, because nobody's in our movies. Uh, there are people who are going to go in expecting like you know a good uh, some like hereditary, and it's like it's not what this is. It's not yeah not that. Uh, sorry to continue a little bit on that that scene, and this is back about the yeah, yeah. Cr- criticizing the wealth. Is they're they're at this dinner party when this dog attack happens, mm-hmm. and you know the, the little girl is running around like completely misbehaved, and uh, someone says, "Oh, you know, are there rules, or do you guys have some rules at the house?" And and her mother's like, "Oh no, we don't believe in rules. It you know stunts their personality. Just essentially letting her kid." Oh, run, yeah, totally. run around, I forgot about that. Yeah, run, yeah. run around, and then she gets mauled by a dog. And you know, so I think that is an example of this, like criticism of like wealth and opulence clouding one's judgment or one's education because just because someone's wealthy, right? And you've got a character who, before that dinner party, uh, looked very frightened and is arguably suffering from some mental mental issues. Uh, who's, who said you know something bad's gonna happen, and then you get a scene like that with the parents. Oh, she can do whatever she wants. She gets bit by the dog, and the character who has the mental issues says, "See, I knew. I told you." And it's like, no, like that could easily be explained. <laughs> yeah. And the movie, like, I, it just kind of hangs out in the middle there, and I love it. It doesn't. It doesn't lean one way 
too far um and, and, and frankly it's got kind of a fun ending i thought it definitely had an ending that left yeah. me you know left me thinking in the theater alone <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it, nobody it, else is there. Like I said, at at the end end of the day, I think it is about like the criticism of like how we idealize the past versus how things actually are, and and kind of the dangers of uh, you know over idealizing something or over romanticizing something. Yeah, big time. So, uh, not to over romanticize this conversation or this film that we've been <laughs> talking about for probably too long. Andy, what did you think of The Little Stranger? You know, I really liked it. Even though I, I was kind of skeptical going in, I saw the trailer, I wasn't really impressed, but I mean, I, I really liked how it was shot. I liked the performances. It, it was creepy when it needed to be, but and, but it still has like these, you know, underlying meanings and good performances. Um, so yeah, I would definitely recommend it. Yeah, I, I, I was... <sighs> pleasantly surprised i guess it's not like it's not the pleasantly surprised like out of hereditary where i went just expecting this little this little horror film it turned out to be like huge and tremendous and i loved it um i was surprised just because of like the quality and and again the the people who didn't turn out to see it i'm like man this movie just kind of went under the radar like nobody's really looking for it and and nobody's really i worry it's not really going to leave a mark but in a way it doesn't have to i guess it's just kind of a Kind of a nice little exercise in filmmaking. Uh, while I wouldn't put this at, at any kind of like top 10 films in my life or anything, like come end of the year, this, this may be on a top 10 list for me. Yeah. Like it's pretty good. I, well, I, I, I liked it. Well, and as dry as August and September may be, which we'll talk about in a second, you know, it was, it was good to be able to get in the theater and it was a rainy day and, you know, just see a nice, good, coherent film. Open, yeah. open to close, nice and creepy. That being said, we should probably... Just as a footnote before we move on, this is a dry movie. It's very dry. It, it is. Yes, you do have to. It is a listen. dry there flick. Is, there is lots of dialogue. There's talking. There's nuance. You got to pay attention. Yes, this is not. If if you're if you heard our review and you're thinking, ooh, like cool new horror mystery, I'm gonna go watch. Slow down. Like it's it's dry. It's All right, slow, like, it's a yeah. slow burn, and I definitely love that. It's bold cinema. It. Yes, I, I love it. It's it's a slow burn, and I love it. Um, but just I, I I'd hate for somebody to see this and then. <laughs> yeah it did it did well, feel guys said it was good like those, well yeah those are my only two criticisms is that it it felt just a l- little bit long and it did kind of bog down a couple of times but right. like i said overall i really enjoyed it yeah me too well uh the next thing we are talking about this is our uh just kind of i don't have any music for this or anything just fall we'll find some <laughs> okay well we'll find some fall in film going to be something that plays there uh this is just a look we did this at the beginning of summer uh just a look at the next few months of what we've got look coming up in in, in right. movies at the box office i guess i'm really stumbling through this so uh just to immediately look at next week before i move on to the next weeks to come this next week and we were talking about this before the show because i don't really know what we're going to do about it uh the movies are terrible <laughs> yeah it's real it's real spare next week yeah next week we have the nun all right from warner brothers i'm sure you've seen the awful trailers for that and we have peppermint starring jennifer garner which i don't care about that movie at all the trailer looks horrible but honestly i kind of hope jennifer garner is good in it because i like her like uh-huh. that's i just hope she does okay like I, good good luck jennifer garner from way over here i have literally movie, only but, seen one trailer yeah for this Despite how often I go and how many times I've had to see the stupid Jonah Hill movie trailer, um, <laughs> for, yeah, that that's turned into the Mission Impossible. Oh God, yeah, I uh, I didn't I haven't seen the mid '90s trailer in a minute, but I have seen I think one trailer for Peppermint, and my local theater has a, has a poster up. That's all I've seen. So 
I guess ne- next week's hot release is The Nun. Jury's still out on whether or not we actually go see that for this show because it looks terrible. So we'll see. It's but only 96 minutes as it's- well. <laughs> The next uh, week, Andy, please, the, the midweek of September. Okay, so we got uh, the new Predator remake, uh, which is Shane, uh, by Shane Black. Um, that I mean, it's it's the Predator. It's going to be an action movie. I'm not real interested in it. should be fine. Also, next week is A Simple Favor, which I'm a little intrigued by, uh, which is this film with uh, Anna Kendrick, Blake Lively, and Henry Golding, who we just saw in uh, Crazy Rich Asians. And uh, it deals with some sort of uh, awkward friendship that Anna Kendrick and Blake Lively strike up as new moms, but there's lots of mystery. And then I think Blake Lively's character goes missing. I, I haven't seen a trailer for this. I've seen, uh, I've seen a couple. Um, I like Anna Kendrick, so... I I might be swayed, but written and directed by Paul Feig, director of Ghostbusters 2016. That's right. So that's not necessarily bad. The guy also did some episodes of The Office. I don't want to sell him down the river. All right, it, it's it is what it is. Uh, also next week, uh, White Boy Rick comes out. Right. Yeah. Not interested. What? Really? I've seen so many. I feel like I've seen so many. Like, oh, this guy. He used to be a drug lord. Or hear the true tale out of. Okay, I, I did notice something about White Boy Rick because it does look a little clunky. It looks like it's definitely built around a, a main character, a, a child actor, which like put, put a lot of weight on a child actor to, to put a whole movie yeah. around him. And I've never seen that kid in anything. Uh, and also, this is going to sound real petty, but the last shot of the trailer, keep an eye out for this for White Boy Rick. If you see the trailer again, probably will. Uh, when they're talking about the kid being an FBI informant or something and, and the, and whoever it is, the government official that Matthew McConaughey and the, and the son are sitting, sitting in front of in a desk. He says, uh, nobody's going to believe there's an FBI informant. And then you get the shot of Matthew McConaughey goes, but he was, and then it like cuts the trailer. That's like the last big, yeah. that's the kicker out of the trailer. Look at that shot. Matthew McConaughey's out of focus. He's in the, he's in the foreground and he's not the focus of that shot. It's the kid. And it's like, it's weird that you used a Matthew McConaughey line, which is a throwaway in the editing of the film as, the big kicker for the trailer. So just like, it's odd. I don't know. I noticed that the other day. I was like, that's weird. Like he's not, he's not really featured there, but either way, I'm excited about predator only because directed by Shane black, who, if you didn't know is starred in the original predator. Oh, wow. He was in that. Yeah. He was, he was this nerdy skinny guy who made way too many dirty jokes. It was great. Uh, and, and has some, a couple goofy throwaway lines. He didn't write it or he didn't write the original thing. He just started in it. And here we are. And the original Predator was directed by, I forget the guy, uh, but he also directed Die Hard. So Sounds about right. So little, a little bit of something there. I don't know. I'm like Shane Black kind of redoing Predator. That could be neat. He was in the first one. Why not? So That's right. Next maybe, week? Maybe there's something there. The week after, yes. <laughs> we got a lot of I know, weeks to I know, go. No, no, we got a lot this. of to I go know, through. I, I'm sorry. Uh, the House with the Clock and Its Walls, uh, directed by Eli Roth, which I have not seen his name on that at all. Wow, no. There's been no indication that Eli Roth did that, starring Jack Black, Kate Blanchett, and some kid. Uh, it's a fantasy horror. I think it's rated PG-13. Yeah, that, that's... I mean, Eli Roth is known for doing torture porn, so for him to do a family-friendly I know. I, again, I, I honestly, before this segment right now, I don't I don't think I knew that was Eli Roth. I just read it right off this this page, and, and here I am. It's kind of like M. Night Shyamalan doing After Earth. Like, they just hit it. N- nobody wanted anybody to know. Universal did not want anybody to know Eli Roth was doing this movie because parents would probably be ta- afraid to take their kids to see it. But it looks... Eh, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Um, it looks original, but kids. it is what it is. Yeah, and the other movie that week uh, that I'm kind of interested in is The Sisters Brothers from Annapurna. Yes. Yeah, starring Joaquin Phoenix, uh, John C. Riley, and Riz Ahmed, and... Jake Gyllenhaal. Jake Gyllenhaal. Damn it, that was the other one. Uh, I might go see that for this show. Yeah, this is a, a Western uh, kind of dark comedy. 
Yeah, Western like comedy. It. I love John C. Riley. I love Walking Phoenix. I'm definitely interested in that. Next week. Oh, uh, sorry. sorry. <laughs> so that was that was the handoff. My bad. Sorry. Uh, so at the end of September, we have Night School, which is the uh, Kevin Hart and uh, Tiffany Haddish. Pass. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Just comedy get way in front of that. Uh, yeah. where that you know it's about going getting their GED night school um, that's probably going to make a ton of money because everyone loves uh, probably yeah uh, small foot which is a family friendly animated uh, film about like the Yeti yeah uh, that looks cute um, and also the old man in the gun which is uh, Robert Refford's allegedly last performance as uh, an aging bank robber man I'm <laughs> I'm into the old man in the gun that movie looks cool Oh, what do you think? Are you? Uh, I don't know. I, I that's something I just need to see it because I'm, I'm not really intrigued by it, but it could be like really great. It's got this stupid mid '90s film grain over it, like it looks older, and it's got this goofy old font, and it's got Robert Redford as an old dude that goes around robbing banks, and Sissy Spacek is is the chick he's hanging out with, I guess, who doesn't believe that he's a bank robber, and you got Casey Affleck and Danny Glover hot on the trail. They're the cops chasing him down. I'm like. That's, That's gonna be cool. I don't know. I'm like Casey Affleck and Danny Glover is like the goofy. Yeah, I could get I could get on board. Yeah, with that. and it's supposed to be like a, a mature, robust look at life and living. And I'm like, you know, I, dude, I, I love me some Robert Redford. I can get into the old man in the gun. Like maybe it'll be terrible. I don't know, but it's a Fox Searchlight picture film. I think it'll be okay. The first week of October, man, we are really dragging on this. We gotta get going. <laughs> uh, Venom is the big release, I think, and also A Star Is Born uh, by. Brad Cooper. Uh, so yeah, the de- directorial debut, I believe. Right. Thoughts on either of those? Um, Venom. It looks real iffy. Have not been impressed by the trailers. I love Tom Hardy though. A Star Is Born. I've been hearing really good things. Been hearing that Lady Gaga is is um, very good in it. This is a remake of a Robert Redford film as well. I mean, he's he's in the older really? one. Yeah, oh, I didn't know it was a remake. Yeah, and um, Barbara Streisand. Oh, okay. Also, Dave Chappelle in that movie. So keep an eye out for yeah. him. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna. <laughs> I guess that, that'll probably be a double week for us. Because that's something we were talking about. Yeah. Coming up on, on Oscar seasons, we're going to have to start doubling up on theatrical releases, which uh, is taxing for your off-script boys. So it's it's fine, though. It's fine. We're fine. <laughs> the uh, next week. Uh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. October 12th. Um, big release is Damien Chazelle's First Man, uh, which is stars Ryan Gosling and Claire Foy. Very as, uh, You know, space film about uh, the mission to the moon. Yeah. Super excited about that. Uh, Damien Chazelle lasted uh, La La Land, uh, of course. And I just remembered a news story we should have talked about about First Man. It's fine. Maybe we'll get to it next week. Um, and also that week is uh, Beautiful Boy, which is star Steve Carell and Timothy Chalamet, who had a breakout year last year. And this is about a father and son drama uh, about a, uh, their struggles uh, th- with addiction through the years. Right. Uh, also, bad times at the El Royale is that week. Yeah, I'm. I don't know what to think about that. It's it's got me. It's got me. My interest peaked. It, okay. Yeah. Bad times at the El Royale reminds me of Hotel Artemis in that like it yeah looks like it looks cool from far away, but like that movie could be horrible or it could be great. Like I I, I never know with a movie like that. Yeah, it, it's got, it's got a good big cast yeah it looks it reminds me almost like if it's if it was going for something from like tarantino or maybe the coen brothers it's supposed to be like yeah. edgy and cool and like but at the end of the day i don't know it looks kind of lame but the, i don't know i saw a trailer kind of neat so maybe uh but between first man and beautiful boy that might be what we're doing that week the next week after that the 19th we've got halloween yes <laughs> Again, uh, from David Gordon Green, written by Danny McBride. And I don't know what that means, but that could be neat. Starring 
Jamie Lee Curtis returning to the role of uh, yeah. I mean, I'm not a fan of of slashers. Laurie Strode. Sorry, Laurie Strode. Sorry, is the name of Jamie Lee Curtis' character? Yes. Sorry, you're not a fan of slashers. Not a fan of slashers. Not a fan of this series. However, that is a big release that week. We'll probably see it. Yeah. Also, God, that is this is a big week. Uh, we've got this movie called The Hate You Give, which I have not seen a trailer for, but apparently it's supposed to be cool. Yeah, I, I've seen this a couple of times. Uh, it deals with um, a girl whose boyfriend gets shot by police, and that's as we know, going to have lots of implications in this uh, day and time. The, it looks, it does look very good. Yeah, it's a comedy drama. Can you ever forgive me? Uh, starring nope. Melissa McCarthy. <laughs> As, uh, God, I forget the name of her character, but essentially a writer who acts as a, a ghost writer slash con woman uh, for yeah. older uh, older writers. Serenity, starring Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway is that week, which is the new hot McConaughey movie, I think. That's supposed to be the... Don't don't shrug your shoulders. The, Have some goddamn respect. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> I don't know what to think. I've seen this trailer. It just uh, apparently that, that movie was supposed to come out a long time ago, but it, it was delayed. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, it that. just... Anne Hathaway is this like femme fatale. Uh, I don't really know what to think. I almost feel like I've seen the whole movie from the trailers. So. It looks very arbitrary. Yeah, it, like it looks like it holds a lot back in the trailer. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know where this is going. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Uh, and then the other one that week, mid '90s, uh, by of course Jonah Hill. We've seen that trailer a billion times. We don't care anymore, Jonah. I like the first time I saw the trailer, I was into it, and then every time since, I'm like, nope, it's gonna be stupid. Like, it's, I don't. It's played by, but between everything that I've seen yeah. in the last like month and a half. They really want people to go see the new Jonah Hill film. Now, next up. Um, you know, I'm not real sure what's going on at the, at the end of October. And this may change a lot, by the way. Um, some movie called Hunter Killer starring uh, Linda Cardellini, Gerard Butler, and, and Gary yeah, Oldman. Yeah, Gerard Butler. Um, Johnny English strikes again. Don't know what's going on. Here, I, you <laughs> know what? Real week. quick, I got a Wikipedia entry for for the plot for the Hunter Killer because I haven't seen anything about it. Check this out: Gerard, the new Gerard Butler film. The Russian president is captured by his own defense minister at a visit on a northern marine base, and a U.S. submarine under the command of Commander Joe Glass, Gerard Butler, is sent into Russian water to save the Russian president and avoid sparking World War Three. Like, oh God! How many times is he is Gerard Butler going to save the president? Yeah, Gerard Butler in a submarine. Who cares? Although it is worth mentioning, Gary. Gary Oldman is in this film, so I don't know what that means, but there's certainly something there, I guess. He plays an admiral. He doesn't even play like... he. Maybe he does play the bad guy. That would make sense. Probably. Surprise, Gary Oldman's the bad guy all along. I would get into that. Uh, also that week, you got Suspiria from Amazon Studios. Oh, yeah, I missed that. Sorry. I don't think that's on IMDb, which is lame. By, by Luca Guadagnino, the remake of the... Uh, Dario Argento. Of the of film of the same name. Yeah, a movie I've never gotten all the way through, but I was heard is incredible. It is an hour longer than the original. What does that mean? <laughs> I don't know. That's It's either going to be the greatest horror film, it's going to rival The Shining, or it's just going to be like me one wanting to like end it all <laughs> it, might, it might be hard to, to find it but if you can go back and look for the trailer i think it's 76 the original trailer for suspiria that is a really cool piece of film history like that trailer is so wacky like a skeleton yeah that's supposed stupid. to be like a it's a classic horror film i have not seen it but i've heard a lot about it and i've heard a lot about dario argento and so right. for him to be remaking this or luca guadagnino to be remaking this is huge he did uh call me by your name uh last year which was a had got a lot of awards. Uh, the next thing, next week, we're in November. Good God, this is dragging. If, if you stuck with us, it's getting, thank it's you. Only getting yeah. better. It's only it's getting true. better. Uh, the first week of November from Walt Disney, The Nutcracker and the Four Realms. Pass. <laughs> well, it, <laughs> so that that's like this Nutcracker thing meets Narnia. It looks, the, it's like this huge big budget 
like family thing. I think that that's probably gonna make a lot of money. I'm not particularly interested. Man, like, okay, like I, Disney can build a, a, a genre and they can build a universe. I get it. So like, if they're trying to go all in in November on Nutcracker. Maybe it'll be cool. I don't know, man. It's Disney. Yeah, it's like I said, the house and mouse. They can do anything. So maybe if they're really going for it, the Nutcracker and the Four Realms will be neat. But I'm kind of of the mind, like, that's not going to be cool, but whatever. Uh, we also have that week Bohemian Rhapsody, which is the Queen biopic. I, I like that they seem to be framing it around Freddie Mercury. And as far as I can tell, like, it's not where they made it. The, the band members of Queen were not like, let's honor Freddie. They were like, we want to make money because we're in Queen and we don't have Freddie Mercury to, to, to share the load. Yeah, and that's why Sasha Baron Cohen left is because he wanted it to be Freddie's story and the band was like, no, we want it about the band. Right, uh, and now suddenly it is about Freddie, so I don't know what that means exactly. The other honorable mention in that week, a movie called Boy Erased out of yeah. Focus Features, directed by Joel Edgerton. Oh, wow. And screenplay by him. And he stars in it. So I don't know what that means, but I'm like, hey, little, little, little Joel Edgerton love fest. If, if Bradley Cooper can get away with it, why yeah, can't he? Lucas Hedges as well, who's kind, he's kind of the the, the American uh, <laughs> Timothy Chalamet. Lucas Hedges? Is that is that one of the... He's just been, he's been in everything. Yeah, I guess I got a little... He was in Lady Bird. Uh, he's in mid-90s. He's in this. Oh, he God. was in Three oh, Billboards. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is in everything. Manchester by the Sea. Uh, you want to take the next one? Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, sorry. Uh, November 9th, uh, The Grinch, remake animated <laughs> comedy. Definitely not interested in that. Starring Benedict Cumberbatch and titular role doing a very odd accent. Yeah, a very, very delayed uh, sequel to The Girl in the Spider's Web, sequel to The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Different director, different stars. Different studio. Yeah. The, um, the, the yeah. original one came out of Sony and was a, a Fincher film, which I very much love. And this is a different different studios, Columbia now, uh, different, different star, different director. Like, I... Yeah, I'm not really interested in following it up. It's been too long. Also, uh, uh, a movie called The Front Runner, uh, which stars uh, Hugh J Jackman as a 1988 pre presidential candidate, Gary Hart, um, whose campaign is derailed uh, after he's caught in a scandalous uh, love affair. And this, from the trailer, it looks like this was the first time where the media c got a hold of this kind of thing and was able to kind of put it out to the public where before, I guess, it was just easier to co cover up that sort of thing. Also that week, I saw this trailer in front of The Little Stranger. I hadn't seen it before, but I want to mention it because it's on this list. There's a movie coming out of Paramount and Bad Robot called Overlord. Have you seen the trailer for that? No. Check out the trailer for Overlord. It's set in World War II. I think it centers around a a group of, of paratroopers who paratroop into like a... Behind enemy French, lines. Yeah, like French whatever, and they're behind enemy lines. And then they like stumble onto like nazi scientists doing experiments and there's like monsters oh, or something God. yeah wow. so now they're like shoot it's like wolfenstein or something like check it out like i, I saw the trailer over i was like okay wait that actually looks kind of neat like <laughs> i mean it's starring that could be cool it's so. starring bokeem woodbine that's how i know like he's he he does all those like straight to dvd movies oh does he really yeah oh, it's just how much i know yeah maybe they're trying to do something cool but yeah i i saw that it was like because you know it starts off as a very generic trailer oh paratrooping and we're in war and i'm gonna i'm gonna come back mom and then suddenly it's a monster film and they're playing rock music. I was like, okay, whoa, this this is turning into something neat here. So I, I don't know. Keep an eye out for Overlord, I guess. It might be lame. The next week, uh, Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. This is halfway through November now. David Yates, of course, J.K. Rowling trying to uh, restart that Harry Potter spark. Yeah. Trying, to, trying to pull that push mower. Trying milk, to make it happen. Milk that cow. Yeah. That's right. Uh, man, I... I 
just really briefly was not so much a fan of the first one, uh, but I'm hopeful for this one. They, yeah. It could be cool. I liked it, and I mean, I, the, the, I'm interested in it. The trailer looks good. This is going to be a five-film ordeal. And right. And so that we're in film two of five, uh, and each one is going to take place in a different city. So the first one was New York. second one is Paris, and then we'll see where the other one's Right. Going. We also have that week, Widows by Steve McQueen, which is very exciting. A lot of women. It's a heist thriller. Yeah. Um, I'm super excited for this because uh, I, I like Steve McQueen. His last film was uh, 12 Years a Slave. Yes. Uh, it's terrible for me to think that this is a contrived plot, but it seems a little ridiculous to me. If you're mob wives and your husbands get murdered, you usually get murdered too. That's how that goes. You don't get to pull heists. Uh, but it's fine. Well, they're assuming the debt. That's why. I guess that's it. Yeah. Okay. Sure. That's how that goes. Uh, and then a movie called Instant Family, which is a family comedy starring Mark Wahlberg and Rose Byrne. And that's all I know about it. But I'm seeing it here, and I feel like I'll probably see really horrible trailers for it in the next month yeah, or so. Yeah, that, that's so. a holiday family schlock. Yep. That's exactly what that sounds like. So keep an eye out for Instant Family, whatever that means. You want to take the next one? Yeah, and then uh, the week of November 23rd, we have Ralph Breaks the Internet, the sequel to Wreck-It Ralph. Uh, I'm really excited about this. I'm a big fan of the first movie. Good stuff. Um, and then we have Creed, which Creed 2, sorry, which is the follow-up to Creed 1, in which uh, I guess uh, uh, Adonis Creed is going to face off against Victor Drago, who's the son of the famous Ivan Drago from Rocky IV. Could be very neat. Uh, Robin Hood is also that week. That looks so bad. <laughs> yeah, it really Unbelievably does. bad. Really bad. Um, it may it feel bad because uh, Taron Egerton, Taron, however you say it, yeah. Egerton, I don't know. Man, that kid can't catch a break. Between Kingsman 2 and this, I'm like, you're you're in trouble, man. Also stars Ben Mendelsohn, who I actually really like, and I have not seen in a good film in a while, so I don't know what that means, but keep an Jamie eye Jamie Foxx as well. Also, God, Jamie Foxx isn't in that. Green Book uh, by Peter Farrelly, which stars Viggo Mortensen and Mahershala Ali, which actually looks kind of neat. That's a trailer yeah. in front of a little stranger for that. That looks like a, a you know. A some good, Oscar-y that's some oscar That's an Oscar contender. Yeah, Mahershala Ali won Best Actor last year. Yeah, yeah. Or best supporting best a couple supporting, years uh, for Moonlight. That's yeah. right. Yeah, so that's uh, definitely a swing at the fence. Also here, uh, I'm really looking forward to this. The Favorite, which is the new film by Yorgos Lanthimos. Who, oh God, The who, Favorite, who yes. did Killing of a Sacred Deer, and, and he did The Lobster. Yeah, so he does some really, really weird out there stuff that I love. And he did Dog Tooth. You still haven't seen Dog Tooth? No. Oh man, I gotta, I gotta float you the DVD. When's your birthday? We'll figure it out. The next thing we have, oh, God, it gets real slim right around there. Well, I got to be honest, I think it's about it. That's, yeah, that's pretty much, well, probably, you know, thing, these things always get updated. That's three months out. It's true. I did want to mention right at the end of November a movie called Second Act, which stars Jennifer Lopez and Leah Remini as maids, I guess, who who kind of get swept up in, in the, the high culture class, and it looks horrible. I saw, I saw a trailer, like, oh, God, Jennifer Lopez, what are you doing? You're in a movie called Second Act. That should that should tell you everything you need to know. Like, no, don't do it. But Last act of your career. So I, I, <laughs> so I feel like she's done a ton of movies like this where she, like, goes from a blue-collar person, or she, like, goes from... it's a, Like, she's rags to riches. That's what it is. We all saw Made Manhattan. Yeah. We all knew. Exactly. This looks like Made Manhattan 2, you know, Electric Boogaloo. Well, the last film, now that we're... Oh, God. Are we done with the vault? Man, that... That took a while. Yeah. <laughs> we might have to cut that down next time we, we do might this. Have to, yeah, we might have to trim that up. Uh, the point is, there's a lot of cool stuff coming out. And and there's going to be a lot of weeks where I think we're going to have to start doubling down. And we're going to have to start... Uh, yeah, going to see two movies in a week. And, and look forward to that. Uh, honestly, some of those might be three, which sounds wild. But it's fine. 
Uh, the last movie we have to talk about, I know you're to, taking the summary on this, very excited about it, very much looking forward to the conversation. Take it away, please. Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey. <laughs> Oh boy! So I'm not even sure where to start. So it's an honor, Andy. Yeah. So we we um, saw this actually at the Texas Theater um, in its 4K restoration. Uh, the Texas Theater is an old historic theater from the 20s, uh, if you be- can believe it. It's where they found Lee Harvey Oswald. That's right. Yeah, the guy who shot JFK. Um, so it's it, I love seeing movies there. It actually it's got a good screen, it's got good sound, but it's just it's old school. There's always a vibe. It's only one screen, so you know I've seen Blade Runner there. I've seen Donnie Darko. Yeah, I, I'd never been there before I went with you. We went Saturday, uh, and and I, I was really impressed by the feeling of like the retro feel because like I, I when I worked at this old theater in, in high school, our theater was like twenty four years old. Those seats we had were just like the seats of the Texas theater. They were horrible. The seating was the same. Uh, like it's it's crummy by today's standards. But all of that put aside, besides the nostalgia that I have for that, that I love, that not everybody's into. Something about seeing a, th- a movie in a theater with only one screen, there's such a commitment to it. Yeah. Everybody there is there for one reason, and it's that film. And, like, I really enjoyed that. It had a vibe to it. You're right. Like, it, it, it mattered a lot more. Like, that screening in particular is what is happening, and it was cool. Yeah. So let me uh, attempt to jump into this, this film. So this is one of Kubrick's um, kind of big space operas, uh, magnum opus of works of science fiction. It's... It's influenced tons of film, Star Wars, lots of, it basically launched the whole space era of, of a lot of films. Um, and so what it's about. So it's in four distinct acts, and we start with the dawn of man. And, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, we, he's swinging for the fences. And so uh, in the well, first... We don't start with the dawn of man. We don't. But it's the first but, official but, act. Yeah, but in the fine. first act, we start with, with the, the dawn of man, which starts uh, with a tribe of apes who are, you know, they're eating, they're fending for food. Eventually, this giant monolith, this rectangular object, appears out of nowhere. Uh, they they kind of touch it, and this kind of sparks uh, the next step in the evolution, or so they discover tools. They There's a fam- the very famous scene with the ape have throwing this bone, or, or smashing bones, and he discovers tools, and that kind of, they, they now have weapons, they can fight, off, you know, they can fight off other people. I'm sorry, I'm getting caught up in this act. Right. Uh, so that's where where this starts, and then that the second act catapults us four million years forward into the space era, um, where we go to the moon, and there's another monolith there, which leads to another monolith, and points to another one in Jupiter in the third act, which is the long kind of showdown between the HAL 9000 supercomputer, and then. Gosh, and beyond Jupiter and into the if infinite and beyond. It's oh, really hard to it summarize this film. It's <laughs> rough. Okay, yeah, that's that's a good place to start. Um, let, let's talk about our background with this movie before we get into it. You've seen it before. Yes. Your thoughts. Okay, so I did not like this movie the first time I saw it. I pr- tried to watch it when I was about 20, and I got about 40 minutes into it and just didn't have the patient, patience because right. it does move very slow. 
and also wasn't paying attention. And this story is told primarily through visuals. There's not a lot of dialogue. In fact, there's not dialogue for the first like 40 minutes. Uh, so you have to watch and pay attention. If you're not, you're going to miss a lot of real important details. I, I eventually watched it more recently in the last uh, three or four years. Uh, it was on Netflix and really enjoyed it and really kind of understood it. And I did a lot of research uh, about what it's about and the themes and things like that. Right. Uh, I saw it once before this. I saw it when I was uh, last year film school, so I was probably early 20s. Uh, not a fan. Did Yeah, did not like it. And I know everybody said, oh, it's great. It's incredible. It's one of the best films of all time. Did not get it. Uh, and I, I think a big reason for that is because of its structure. It is in no way a traditional. No. Not traditional at all. Like, you do not have main characters. You follow through the three acts. You do not have an antagonist and a protagonist for most of the film. Yeah. You do kind of get one at the end, but even he is not arbitrarily the main character of the film. Yeah. No. Yeah, I I don't know if there really is one. Let's talk about... God, where do we go with this? What's the... I mean, your your impressions. Okay, sure. First things first. uh, There's a lot I forgot about in this film. That, that I think are important to, to kind of jump on. I think I forgot about uh, one, not only the power of the visuals, because it truly is incredible for a film that was made in 68. Yeah. Genuinely incredible. And, and the 4k restoration, by the way, for anybody out there looking, what, what do they say? It was, it was organized by Christopher Nolan. Wanted, yeah. to, wanted to make a 4k restoration. Genuinely incredible. There, there are shots in this movie that like could have been shot today. Like it looks that sharp. It yeah. really looks good. Um, supposedly I heard the Suspiria 4K restoration is also that good, but it's fine. Um, I forgot about the music in this film. I forgot yeah. about a lot of the music. I remember the main score, the one that like, okay, yeah. Yeah, I know that one. They spoof it in Spaceballs, for God's sake. But um, I forgot that the first like three minutes of this movie are an opening, uh, what's the term I'm looking for? Like overture? Overture. Uh, yeah, on black. Yeah, for like two minutes, two, three minutes. Yeah, and and like watching it at home, like on my TV in the middle of the day, kind of lame. I end up getting on my phone, yeah, whatever. Like watching it in a theater, just complete black blackness, you know, and just seeing like that that black frame of, of projection where there's nothing. I mean, everybody sit in there quietly and just listening to the music and listening to just kind of come in and pick you up a little bit, put you down and like really get you in the zone for the film like really incredible stuff really yeah. incredible stuff and like did not get that in a, in a, in a home release yeah. at all yeah and it reminds me of where uh, people like christopher nolan i was like well he's definitely influenced by this film the way uh he treats sound the way it's such uh an, a huge element and we'll, like will be blaring and there were people covering their ears in this in in 2001 many like i've seen in christopher nolan movies because the sound is that in your face sometimes right and they told us at our screening they were like we turned it up loud which you know if it's too much you can we can turn it down but like we think you'll like it and we did i think i yeah, don't think anybody went definitely um I, I i liked the first act i i while i am quick to praise the visuals in this film and the special effects because there's truly some groundbreaking stuff at the same time there's some stuff that hasn't aged great <laughs> mainly the apes which are clearly people in suits yes uh, that hurts a little bit and it does feel a little long like but you get a good progression of time in there because it's not just oh suddenly you're out in the desert and there's apes like no it starts out with landscape shots of nothing and then you slowly get wildlife yeah yeah he he, he definitely loves to get you into the setting mm-hmm. and, se- and set up the setting yeah and build that story out a little bit and and you start with nothing and you get this ramp of progression of time to suddenly you have animals and then you have apes and these apes start to develop thought and then they start to develop conflict between each other mm-hmm. back and forth one one group wants wants access to this watering hole and the other one doesn't want it and they end up yelling and fighting and then you get these shots of them afraid and you start to have these things develop emotion 
and they start to become less animals and more people. And we yeah. get that without any dialogue, without any, just from music and visuals. And it, it's it's really cool stuff. And then you get the 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 first appearance of the monolith. The monolith, uh, the symbol in this film for what exactly? Oh gosh, uh, I mean that's been the debate of of a lifetime. Um, some people think it represents evolution. Some people think it represents reason. Some people think it's just there to witness these things. Um, some people argue that the monolith itself is a uh, it's an allegory for the film screen mm-hmm. itself. That's that's been a popular one in, in recent years. Um, it's a lot of things. And what I love about this f- film is that it's so open to interpretation. Like Kubrick di- would not and did never really talked about this film or and what it means and what it it's supposed to mean. And what he wants you, the viewers, to just whatever your reaction is, what it's about. Right, whatever you take away from it is is what it is. It's kind of open-ended in that way. And left for, you know, that's part of the fun of the movie, I think. I think a lot of people, like me in my first time around, struggle with that. Like, they don't yeah. like it. Yeah, it's like, I want a movie that explains to me what's happening. This movie does not do that. It does not hold your hand. Um, well, I take it back. It kind of does if you're there for it, I guess, if you're, mm-hmm. willing to, if you're willing to kind of follow it along in the journey. But uh, one of the things I wanted to mention about the monolith, I, I realize this is turning into a way deeper conversation than I meant for it to. Nonsense. But Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. Uh, yeah, I, I want to talk about the sound of the monolith, because not only is the monolith a striking structure in the way it's shot, the way it's filmed, it's just this big black obelisk that just comes out of nowhere. God, it's a, it's got this haunting sound around it of, of voices laid on top of each other that kind of modulate and come in and out and get louder and quieter. And combined with Kubrick's like classic long-take format where he'd shoot a scene for three minutes without cutting... It's really creepy. Like it, oh, it yeah. gives you such an odd feeling where like I don't like this thing, but like and the characters the, the apes at least in the first act, they don't like it either. They don't want to touch it. Like they're they're you're creeped out and they're they're screaming at it and eventually one goes over and touches it and like nothing happens. And the other ones go out and touch it, nothing happens. Like it's just you just creeped out, like you don't know. And 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 it's got this weird vibe around it that like you wouldn't think you could get out of an arbitrary object, a black rectangle on screen, but like Kubrick manages to do it. He manages yeah. to wrap this thing in like mystery. So one of my I'm gonna talk about what about about one of my theories. Please. Um so I think that there's we see four monoliths, but I think there's actually a hidden fifth one. Right. At the very so th- this is the very beginning of the movie. What are you doing? You're staring at a black rectangle for two minutes. Right. And then you see the title screen come up. And you see the moon, and then you see Earth. And so my theory is that this is the alien beings, like, traveling and arriving in, like, at Earth. Right. Which fits with the score well. Like I said, you don't don't get that creepy monolith score at the beginning, but... Um, yeah, just the way, like I said, the, the way the music creeps in and just kind of gets you into the world of the film, like, is really effective. And in a way, that's what the monolith does for the other characters. So, yeah, mm-hmm. maybe I can get into that. From there, you get our second act, right? Uh, a very famous uh, match cut from a, a, a monkey, an ape, I should say, that throws a bone up and it turns into a ship. Uh, mm-hmm. Very famous jump cut, actually. When I was in school, that was, that was in every textbook, I felt like that was that was the shot. That the was like, this definition. is how a jump cut works, yeah. Um, what is our second act exactly? Because I, I get fuzzy in, in act two. Like I, so the second act, we are going to the moon. Something has been discovered. Um, they're, they're very vague as to what it is, and uh, we eventually go to this dig site and we find another monolith buried deep in the moon which they say is four million years so it actually arrived there the same time as the one on earth it seems right this one 
is is a weird bit because it does a great job of setting up kind of the space and exploration and the world of the film in, in this kind of futuristic style that Kubrick uh, really seems drawn towards in something like Clockwork Orange, like in, yeah. in the way a lot of a lot of furniture and things are kind of oddly shaped and a lot of white, a lot of one point perspective. That's what he's known for. And it kind of sets up the world of, of the film. How do these people navigate in space, right? How do they how do they deal with zero gravity? You know, mm-hmm. they have grip shoes or whatever. Yeah, this is um, where they show off the effects, for yeah, sure. Yeah, this is where you get some real neat effects. You get a lot of exterior shots that inspired things like Star Wars, of like stationary models with lights and cameras moving around them and then placing those against a backdrop in space. Um, for 68, truly stunning stuff. And again, yeah. the 4K restoration makes it look so good. Like It really just looks sharp, but... This bit is based around a character. I don't remember his name. Uh, Dr. Haywood Floyd. Dr. Haywood Floyd, who's going to the moon to check out the thing, right? Mm-hmm. And he's got this meeting at one point on a, a space station, I think. Yeah. With three other folks. Man, I don't, I don't remember what they were talking about. Like They're talking with some Russians who are trying to get some inside info about what what, what is this thing you guys found on the moon. Right, and, and that... That, it's real dry. I, I really struggle with that bit because again, it's lots of long takes. I think I think there's like three cuts in that whole ten minute scene or something. Like yeah. it's very dry, and they're just talking. They're just sitting around talking about whatever, and it's like, what is it? Like, and again, you don't get dialogue for the first forty minutes of the film, and then this, and then they're just yeah. talking about. It. It's like, what? What are, what are we doing right now? Like, who are the, who are these characters? So it's very jarring in that way. But I think it's certainly part of the intention. Yes, right? definitely. Uh, the the film is criticized for its kind of lack of in-depth character and character development but i believe that's completely on purpose right i i I would agree you have any thoughts about this before we move on just immediately to act three well i mean this is supposed to kind of juxtapose the monolith in the first uh act with the monolith in the the second um in the second act when the when the space the men in their spacesuits they go down to the dig site they're not in awe of this thing they're not um, kind of reverential about they're like oh look how cool we are we, we totally found this thing they start taking a picture like in today's it would be the same as taking a selfie with like oh we found this alien artifact look how cool we are so it's a stark difference between uh, the first act of where the apes are like in awe of this thing and then the other ones where man is somewhat as hubris about it I didn't want to I, I don't want to grandstand too much and say Kubrick was a visionary but <laughs> there's this great scene because uh, he arguably was there's this great scene where Dr. Floyd is talking to his daughter on earth through like the, the visual telephone or whatever because they assumed in 68 that people would talk through video right that, that was the thing and it was great because he says well what do you want for Christmas I think your birthday? birthday yeah and she says a telephone and I was like that's really cool that like they had no idea. They had no way of knowing that phones were going to be any kind of a big deal, but that's just that that aged really well. well. Yeah, I was thinking about that. I was like, oh, look, front-facing camera, just like my phone. Right, and what does she want? A phone, like a kid. And I'm just like, man, like that's, again, very far removed, and I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and claim, oh, he knew. Like, no, I, no, it's not that. It's just like that's one of the charming things that aged well about this movie. And I also like, like you said, when they go down and they're actually checking out the model, you get that creepy music again, but not the same vibe from them. It's different. Yeah. And they all get together and take a photo around it. Like a selfie, which is real neat. From there, you get the transition to the third act. Right. And this is uh, kind of, the, it's the longest act, I think. And it's uh, this famous showdown be- between, um, oh, what's his name? Dave, Hal- B- uh, Dr. Dave Bowman and the HAL 9000 super, right. supercomputer. The rise of AI's ultimate supercomputer, right. HAL 9000. Um, who is arguably the most interesting character in, in the film uh, and has, you know, kind of, elicits genuine emotion, fear, worry, anger, these kinds of things. Right. Um, 
uh, I don't want to talk too much about because we're going long. Uh, we are, yeah. But this um, kind of showdown, because uh, essentially the AI becomes uh, homicidal and wants to kill its humans because he thinks that they're going to unplug him. Mm. Um, and so it, it that's what it tries to do. And it does successfully kill four of the five crew members um, before being bested by uh, Dr. Dave Bowman. Right. Now, I made a mistake here uh, because they had an intermission in our screening. They did. This right. was nice. They, okay, it was nice, but I, I was stuck on it because I didn't know where it was going to be. I, I guess I expected it between same. acts. Yeah, and, and instead they kind of stuck it right in the middle of the third act here. Yeah. I guess I'm okay with that, but what bummed me out about it is I missed a bit coming back, and I'm, yeah. I'm bummed I missed that because that was kind of an important part of the film. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't miss generic landscape shots from Act 1. I missed like some important stuff with Hal and Dave, so... That bummed me out. Uh, I don't really remember what happens in it, but I've got the DVD. I suppose I can go back and watch it. Um, I, I really like the conflict between Dave and Hal because Dave is a very dry guy. Yeah. It, very much in conflict with the with the apes from the beginning who are very, very emotional, who are, who are very much all emotion. They don't yeah. have a really rational thought. And even in Act 2, when you get the guys on the moon, Dr. Floyd talking to his daughter, definitely some emotion there. Definitely some like back and forth, some feeling. Dave and his buddies going to Jupiter here, very dry, very like cold and calculated and removed. And there's certainly something to be said about not only the, the progression of technology over time, but also the progression of human thought over human emotion, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And, and one of the, um, I think, re readings of this film is Kubrick's kind of, it's almost like a cautionary tale about man's relationship with technology it's not calling technology evil though that's definitely one of the i think that's that's the warning is that it could it could replace us it could go beyond us and that and that that's not the point like in the first act you know the bone tools are used to propel man early man to like the next phase in, right. in evolution and in the second and third acts technology is viewed as like the pinnacle they they're like they refer to the computer as like the best you know most flawless computer ever made mm -hmm. as in almost as if technology was the point of our existence not to help us go beyond right so towards the end of act three uh, you get a shift into basically the showdown right yeah hal versus dave and you get hal sitting inside the sitting inside the space station and dave sitting outside of it uh i guess it's a ship really yeah sitting outside of the, yeah sitting outside of it in a little escape pod saying hal open the door and hal says nope not gonna do it and he says well i'm coming in the emergency vent then and hal says good luck without your space helmet you left it in here uh, which is certainly something to be said about human that's, error. That's a great line. Yeah, I, I, it, is, it is a good bit. Um, because so, he, it, it's so great because he's like, that will be quite difficult without your helmet. <laughs> Somehow so, he manages to be sarcastic. Yeah, and, totally. Like, you totally get that. And you get Dave sitting in his little pod, like, again, trying to play it cool, similar to Dom Ogles and Little Stranger, but like fuming, like, computer. Because uh, just, he just got played and he killed four of your friends. So good luck with that. Uh, you get this great bit of Dave trying to work his way into the ship and you get these really fantastic shots of light like shot onto Dave's face and this very like again reflection of technology and humanity and combinations and like opposing forces it's, it, there's something there man and like it's so neat to look at the visuals are yeah. really incredible in this bit then uh, Dave works his way into the ship he gets to Hal the supercomputer and this is a scene I had completely forgotten about the shutdown of Hal yeah my God, it's like 20 minutes long. It is quite lengthy. It is long. I mean, the, the whole movie's long. Everything's long in it. But, like, I forgot, like, how long that bit was. I, I seem to remember it being a lot faster than it was. Yeah. It takes a while. Well, and I think that's one of the themes of the whole film is things move slowly because time and the grand scale and progression of time is one of the themes. Agreed. 
following that, you get Dave's trip to Jupiter. Yep. And, and Act 4, <laughs> I think, called Jupiter and the Infinite Beyond. Is that the yeah. name of it? Yeah. Which is probably where Buzz Lightyear got his catchphrase. <laughs> probably, honestly. Yeah, believe it or not, I'm sure this film inspired parts of Toy Story at the very least. Uh, this is where you get some visuals. You get some wacky yeah. things. You want to? I feel like I'm talking a lot. You so, wanna... so when we get to Jupiter, we found another monolith kind of floating in space. It kind of aligns itself with the planets, and then everything goes kind of black, and then all these lights appear. And it's like we've entered some sort of portal, a stargate, wormhole, black hole, something like that, um, for quite a while. But we get all these different lights, crazy different scientific-looking things, uh, but. All the only way I can describe it is you are traveling through something kind of out of this world. Right. The beginning of this sequence, really cool. I, I don't know how they did the effects. I couldn't figure it out. Very convincing, very, very gripping. And one thing that surprised me, because I don't remember this from the first time I watched it, because it's it's like a twenty minute scene. There's a yeah. lot of effects. Yeah. There's a lot of like visuals and sound. <laughs> Uh, I was surprised at how glued in everybody in the theater was. I know they paid to go see a screening of this movie, but like Nobody was like, oh, okay, now the 20-minute scene with the visuals. All right, got it. No, everybody in there was just sitting straight looking at the screen. Like, everybody was tuned in to these yeah. visuals. And that's what it is. It's just visual storytelling. I th I think if you have, hadn't seen it as well, like, it's already done some out there stuff. And when it gets here, you're just like, where is this going to yeah, go? Yeah, what is happening? Like, it gets, it gets wild fast. One of the things that disappointed me, I mentioned this uh, after the movie we were talking about it, I, I didn't like that I, I saw through, like, half the visuals. That bummed me out. Because the first bit of them, like, cause there's kind of three chunks of them. Uh, the first bit is this really wacky, almost looks like LED lighting effect, which they didn't have in 68. I don't know how they did it. It was cool. Like, I dug it. It had this waterfall kind of effect. The next bit, I guess, is supposed to be, at least I think, maybe I'm wrong. Like, maybe I'm, maybe I'm reading too far into this, not far into it enough. I think it's supposed to be, like, galaxies in space. Uh -huh. But how they did it is they shot, like, paint, I think, and they just got yeah, real liquids, close. liquids, yeah. Yeah, and, like, I just saw it and i was like okay i see what this is you're just filming like paint in a bucket essentially so that seeing through that kind of took me out of it a little bit sure and then the last bit is a series of essentially landscape shots with these cool like rotoscoping effects on it and and, and color and you get these intercuts of like these eye shots that reminded me of something something out of like uh, alfred hitchcock's vertigo like these wacky color effects and stuff all cool but i it bummed me out that like the first bit i was so impressed by and the next two i was like oh okay i yeah it, it's a practical effect i know how they shot this like it takes you out of it a little bit um but all in all a really cool scene and then you get the final transition right right where uh dr dave moman arrives in this room all of a sudden that is decorated in kind of 17th century aristocratic decor what is that well i'm thinking about what's that kubrick film that he did that was barry something barry linden barry linden i was gonna say it seemed, yeah. it seemed very barry linden-esque but yeah, and this room is lit from the floor up, though. It it looks like a you know lab or something. It's very kind of sterile. This really cool, like, unnatural glow to it. Yeah, and yeah. so he just kind of arrives here, and uh, we don't know where here is. And then we get these very cool and, and interesting passages of time where Dave is looking outside of the ship from the inside to the out, and then all of a sudden he's outside the ship. And he's also very old at this right. point. And then he hears he hears some noise. He turns around. He sees a guy eating at a table, and then he he is the guy eating at the table. Right. Um, and then uh, finally he uh, he hears something by his by a bed, and he turns around, and there's a guy in the bed. And then all of a sudden he is the person in the bed. Mm -hmm. 
And then we get the appearance of the final monolith. Yes. And not real sure what happens here, but it appears that Dave is reborn as some sort of star child and (laughs) then sent back to Earth. Star Child is the term I've heard for it, yes. Yeah. Uh, he reaches out for the monolith. Uh, we get a shot of the monolith. We get back to the bed, and there is a baby floating above it. Uh, then we get the score sweeps in. We get a shot of the earth, and then it pans over, and there's a giant floating baby next to the earth. And then it looks at the camera, and then the movie ends. It is wild. And the first time I saw it, it made no sense to me, and arguably still doesn't. Right. Uh, but I think I kind of get it more. Um what do you think of the star child? <laughs> I mean, yeah. So it's a, asking, that's like asking, what is this film about ultimately? Um, whew. Well, I, to me, it, it's about man's potential, man's uh, potential to go beyond his environment, beyond his tools. In the first act, he uses the bone tools to get food, to defend himself. We have the space, then we have the space uh, section. Um, and so, uh, to me, like the the whole point of the movie is saying that, like, yes, we've come a long way. We have all this incredible technology, but this is not this is not the end. This is not the peak. We still have a long way to go, and we have, and we don't even know what that's going to look like or what that could be. I mean, eight men would have no idea that we would one be in in one that we would one day be in space. You know, like think of four million years from now, what will we be? Right. It's it's got this great commentary on man's reach exceeding his imagination. Whether that be through our own means or otherwise, because that is completely up to you, depending on how you view the monolith. Um and yeah, it's just this very I mean, and it is exactly what it says in the poster, it's this epic drama of adventure and exploration. In the most odd way possible, that does not follow any particularly one character or or plot line. Um, but damn, is it effective? It, it says so much by saying so little, and it's a movie that I did not enjoy the first time. Um, but going and seeing it at the theater and like seeing it in the way it was meant to be seen um, really does change how I feel about it. Yeah, and and as I say all the time, I'm all about like the philosophy under a film or the themes and. There's so much there, and it's so open to inter- interpretation. You know, we, we get the surface level of, you know, the monolith brings kind of reason, and then man is kind of reborn into a higher form. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's so many other r- readings uh, that I've heard, you know, commentary on technology or governments or economy. I mean, take your pick. Uh, it's out there. Yeah. Andy, what did you think of 2001 A Space Odyssey? <laughs> um, obviously, it's brilliant. It's a masterpiece. Um, I didn't believe it for a long time. It took me a little bit to get around to it. it it's like eating your vegetables. You know, it's good for you, <laughs> It's but it's complex. You know, it, it, it you have to give it a chance. It's not your traditional film. It's very long. It's very slow. Um, but it's it's incredibly deep and philosophical, and it's the more I learn about it and the older I get, the more I appreciate it. Yeah, uh, I, again, did not like it the first time. The second time, I'm nothing short of impressed. I am genuinely looking forward to the next time I watch it. And I have it on DVD, and that may not be enough. I'm going to get the 4K like yeah. screening <laughs> uh, of it because it, it really did look sharp, and it makes a difference. Um, if you're going to watch this movie, if you've, if you've never been able to appreciate it in the way that I seem to suddenly have, or, or maybe you've just never seen it before, do yourself a solid. Turn off your phone. Like, turn off the lights, (laughs) sit down on your couch, or find a retro screening if you can. That's the best way to go, I think. But no matter what, like, tune the whole world out, everything, like, and just 
look at the screen and figure it out, man. Like that's all that's all I got. That's all I got for you. Yeah, this is so this is the fiftieth anniversary of this film. So there's lots of anniversary screenings happening. So see if you can catch one. It's actually it's coming to IMAX as well. Um, so look for these screenings because there it's it's definitely needs to be seen on a big screen. Yeah, I, I really do think it makes all the difference in the world. <sighs> Good lord, two thousand one, a space odyssey. Yeah, <laughs> you know, last week uh, we we talked about whether or not we'd have uh, we, we would talk about spoilers in a film, and then we got correspondence on it, and we forgot to bring it up, and I just remembered. Oh gosh, that's right. Oh damn, yeah, correspondence on the show. Do you think you can? Let me see if real I can just, quick sleuth that out. Great, I'll stall. That's fine. Well, we've learned a lot about each other today. More importantly, we've learned a lot about ourselves. Uh, this was episode 33 of Off Script. If you enjoyed the show, do us a solid. You got it? I do got it. Well, let me give the plug to, to, to rate and review. And then rate and review the show on iTunes, Google Play, wherever you're at. That helps people see it. The show would not be what it is without each and every one of you. And we appreciate you taking the time to listen. Write us at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. Shoot us a message on Facebook, Instagram. We're big over there. Twitter at offscriptreview. I'm the one that runs that one. So you can DM me. Tell me how much... You think I'm great. What was our correspondence, Andy? Okay, so this is from Andre in uh, Ontario. Yes. says, hey, guys, love the podcast. Been thinking about this for a while now, but especially after uh, last week's episode of Million Dollar Baby. Uh, You guys should totally do a spoiler segment at the end of every show. I I don't know how well it would work, but um, at least for older movies, that's what you're saying. Um, And then we'll, you know, we'll, that's, sorry, (laughs) there's more more there, but that was, that's the basic gist of it. Well, uh, after crushing uh, spoilers on a fifty-year-old film, I feel I feel okay in saying fifty-year-old movies we can we can spoil. I, yeah. I feel okay about that. Once you once you cross the five zero, I, th- I think you're safe. But thanks, Andre, for writing in. We don't know him, right? No, neither yeah. of us know that guy. Yeah. So thanks, seriously, we appreciate it like big time. Uh, not that we don't appreciate people who do write in that we know. You know, either way, we'll take correspondence no matter what. But thanks, Andre, we appreciate it. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed our review of two thousand one. I hope you made it this far. Godspeed, and let's slip the dogs of war, my friend. Uh, Andy, what am I? What am I missing? We got a plug next week. What are we doing next week? Uh, we so, figure that out. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we're going to go see a 20th anniversary screening of an anime film called Perfect Blue. Satoshi Kon, great film if you haven't seen it. Um, and then we're also going to be taking a look back at No Country for Old Men, which is playing on Netflix. Yes. Currently streaming. Retro episode next week because we're not going to see the stupid nun. I can't do it, Andy. I can't. Yeah, I no. Or it peppermint. looks so bad. Even the trailer had a cheap jump scare, and I'm not, I'm not about it. Uh, but we're not gonna go see either of those movies unless one of them pulls a crazy rich Asians and gets like a 92 on Netflix or Netflix Rotten, which I don't think it will, especially considering the new critique system. Uh, from all of us here at Off Script, the home of bold cinema, next week, uh, Perfect Blue, and No Country for Old Men. That's right. Stay tuned. Get involved. The home of bold cinema. This is just falling apart <laughs> at the end here. Okay. The wheels are the wheels are flying off. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for listening.